Hey everyone, Tenry here, and our guest today is Franz, the co-founder of View, the Netflix of everything. They're based in Amsterdam and soon to be expanding across the whole Netherlands. But let's ask Franz what they do. You're the co-founder of the Netflix of things. Yeah. Uh, currently started in Amsterdam, uh, but uh, correct. going to be expanding soon as well, yeah. Yes, actually, uh, I hope to sign a uh, contract, uh, a lease for Utrecht uh, within the next five, six days. So uh, mm-hmm. Utrecht will be our second uh, second uh, city outside of uh, Amsterdam. Cool. And in a couple of sentences, like w- what do you do? We are a platform, an access product access platform um, that provides you access to products that you occasionally need. So what we're aiming for is that uh, we, we stop buying, we as consumers stop buying products that you use maybe once, twice, three, four times per year. They're sitting idle somewhere in the corner or under the staircase or wherever you store your stuff, if you have storage at all in, uh, in big cities. Um, they just sit there being idle, doing nothing. You spend a few hundred euros on these and there's other people who want to use it when you are not using it and they're going to buy the same product and they're going to do exactly the same. Um, and I think by now everybody is aware of the fact that you know at one point in time there's no more stuff in our planet that we can take out and use to, uh, to build products from. So if we, uh, if we become a bit smarter by um, making uh, products um, work very well, um, on a daily basis, and instead of buying it, sharing it with each other, um, then I think we're, we're making a huge, uh, a huge uh, step towards a more sustainable living. Yeah, it's a great concept, but it's also kind of yeah, it's a sustainable, but also kind of gives the community feeling of sharing with each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've 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 also really tried. You know, we're we're a business, right? So mm-hmm. we're not here to. We're not an NGO. We're we're not. Uh, you know, we wanna we wanna build a business because we think. Um, sustainability can also be big business uh, and we actually think that all big businesses in the future will be uh, sustainable companies um, but at the same time I agree with you um, the whole community thing is, um, is is very important so give people you know a, a place where they feel like hey we're, we're doing something good here um, we also play on that a little bit uh, so for example if people use the product uh, from our platform or from our catalog. Uh, we also ask them to return it in a proper way. Uh, we ask them to clean it as good as they can, of course. We don't ask people to clean it for an hour if it's really dirty because we know how to clean most products uh, very efficiently. But And, and we, we tell them, look, the better you clean it, the faster we can move the product around and turn it around to the next user that wants to, uh, wants to use it. So. So for us, the community thing is very important uh, for that matter. But also, of course, if you want to grow fast, uh, having a word of mouth and having a referral, a, a working referral program is really important. And therefore, your community is super important. Mm-hmm. Cool. And the service is pretty simple, e- either on the website or on the app. People can order things. Yeah, well, that was not like that in the beginning, yeah. because in the beginning, of course, we thought everything needs to be in the app. and then. Uh, yeah, there are still uh, tons of people that you know don't want to have apps on their phones immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we've we've learned the hard way, I would say. So we started with you know app only um, and only access to products through membership, 
and and along the way we figured out that there's actually a big group of people that prefer to order something through a browser on their laptop um, who might consider downloading the app if they really like the service if they know the service and understand the service but definitely not on day one um, uh, so so we, we 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 opened it for for, for web and then we also figured out that um, you know a subscription on on a catalog or a subscription on a platform uh, well we two years ago when we two and a half years ago when we did our market research everybody was raving about subscriptions not only investors and uh, and shareholders but also uh, consumers I think over the last two two and a half years that changed because what we found once we had the subscription live and we were going and we had a good steady flow of new customers coming in members coming in because they had a membership we also found that there were even more people who wanted, who had an interest in the products, but we were like, dude, you know, subscription, no. I mean, I just want to rent it from you, but I don't want a subscription. So uh, that's the last big thing that we changed, um, or a yeah, pivot, I'm not sure if it's a pivot. It felt, it felt like a pivot because we had to sort of step away from our own belief that the membership was the thing. So I think, I think pivot is the correct uh, definition here, the correct word is that we now offer rental without membership. And what we can see is that there is indeed people that prefer to rent without any strings attached afterwards. But at the same time, there is a group that still comes in as members and they prefer to have a membership. And, and they did the calculations like real Dutch people do. Eh? Mm -hmm. And so, okay, 120 euros a year. And if I do five things, it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense for me. So they sign up for membership. But there's a lot more people that want to try us first, test us first, um, before they commit to something like a subscription. And I think for us it was very important to, uh, to launch this, this feature that rental without membership, uh, because when we were trying, and, and we still do, but we do it less obvious, selling a membership, you're selling something very new, people don't really have a, um, a comparable thing next to it, they can't say, oh it's like this or like that, it's, it was pretty pretty new, uh, especially across the categories that we are offering. Um, and right now we have moved ourselves into a rental space and everybody now is rental. So suddenly people can sort of like, ah, oh, okay, so it's a rental platform. Even though I would love to say now it's a product access platform, for a lot of people it's a rental platform. And then the good thing is the rental market is such an old fashioned market. I mean, if you go to the big rental companies, first you have to go to a website, then you have to set, fill in a form, then you're going to get a phone call from them, then you have to f send another email, then you need to have a credit card, then you need to go there, and then you need to park there, and these days it's paid parking. I mean, it's such an incredibly like 1980s journey that um, digitizing that whole journey going from 10, 15 interactions to five clicks, and then have the product delivered to your doorstep and picked up after use. That's like a revolution in itself, right? So, so the whole thing of moving us into that, let's say, known realm of rental has really helped, uh, I think, to get a lot more customers um, uh, coming to us and, um, and, 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 and use our product. Uh, yeah. Maybe a long, long answer to a short question, but uh, <laughs> oh, that's a good one. And, and what was the decision be behind uh, transporting with the cargo bikes? Um, 
Yeah, I think so. You're from The Hague, right? So uh, I think if you if you take the bike now from here and you drive, um, no, you do it in the morning. So in the morning, let's say around nine, you take your bike and you you cycle through the city. Every bloody 50 meters, you have to stop because there is a white fan delivering something, whether it's DPD, TNT, PostNL, I mean, you name it, they're everywhere. Between 8 and 11, you can't go anywhere in the city. There's, out, there's, there's picnic, there's albertheinen.nl. Everybody's delivering their stuff, like to the hotels, the horeca. It's, and then there's all the construction vans coming in. They're offloading their tools and stuff that they're going to use for the day. Before then, they try to park their car. It takes them about you know, 20, 20 times around the canals to actually find a spot. And then they pay 10 euros an hour. <laughs> I mean, it's like, so the city is, is a mess. Uh, and and I'm, I'm not very familiar in The Hague, but Amsterdam, I mean, everybody is just so frustrated in the morning because there's no way you can move around if you're with a car or something with four wheels. So when we want to, you know, first of all, we want to make sure that if we deliver, if we promise to people that we deliver between 8 and 10, uh, or sorry, it's 9 and 11, that we actually deliver that's one thing because you know otherwise people will go back to that old-fashioned rental thing and like okay i'll pick it up myself at least i'm a bit more in control <laughs> so we want to have a hundred percent hit right on the promise time slots which we are actually hitting at the moment second is i don't want to make this city even worse than it already was so and the bikes you know they're they're big uh but they're bikes so you can park them anywhere you can park them on the sides so cars can still drive people on bicycles can still move when I park our bikes on the side of the road um, yeah and I think you know for us it's it's a great marketing tool uh, you know they're all branded and uh, people see it and people get you know we have on the top of it we have bu.nl so people who look down and like hey interesting what's that so I think it it, it works well for us really cool yeah and uh, then I guess going back a bit in time uh, in your yeah. journey <laughs> so looking at your LinkedIn, it, it seems that you just started entrepreneurship like straight away from the yeah. after the study. How old were you at your first uh, time? 22 or 20, 23. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think 20, 23. I started with, uh, with Smart Haven together with uh, a few, uh, few other guys here in uh, Amsterdam. Um, some of which are still also uh, way uh, knee, knees deep in the, in the tech scene. Mm -hmm. Um, um, yeah, so we met during our studies and, uh, you know, f from very early on, we were talking about uh, having our own business and I've always been you know, very entrepreneurial, always thinking about new ideas and products and, and little, you know, little businesses. And, and then I think the timing was perfect. Um, so this was in 1999. Okay. So we, I think we decided early 1999 to actually go and do it. So we had to, you know, make sure that we had some money and we had to find an office and, and we had to find a few people that wanted to join us. But so we met during uh, Thursday afternoon drinks at the university. So there was uh, Joost, for example, Joost van der Weijert, who was co-founder of Bugs. Um, so he was studying uh, artificial intelligence, KI, Kunstmatige Intelligentie, together with Leonard Wolters, who is the founder of Crowbox, and then we had a few other people joining, and we sort of had an idea like, okay, let's let's talk about it. So we had weekly meetings, and then suddenly this whole internet thing started, right? So this was 98, 99, 
suddenly the internet was the big new promise and everything was going digital um, and, and, and they expected that to happen in, in four years. Now, it took a little bit longer than four years, but uh, I think we're now where we thought we would be in, uh, in 2002. Um, so we, the timing was there. There was suddenly there was venture capital. I mean, I think before that nobody heard, knew what it was. Maybe in the Silicon Valley they did, but in Amsterdam we didn't. So there was suddenly a twinning center. You had new economy. You had uh, all these larger PE companies that went into early stage funding. So let's say moving into venture capital. Um, we had a very you know interesting team of people, and we we managed to get our funding uh, from twinning and. New economy at the time. Mm. Um, so twinning was famous because Roo Pieper was there and Roo Pieper was like the crown prince at Philips at one point in time when Philips was still a big consumer brand. And um, so we had, yeah, we the, the timing was perfect. So the internet was booming. We were young and ambitious and we, 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 we had an idea and we, we just wanted to make it happen. And, uh, and the idea was to, to make searching on the internet that uh, we weren't the only ones, obviously, uh, easier. Um, and we, uh, we worked out a system um, together with software that we licensed from Trillion, from Christine Carman back in the days, uh, that you, know, you could type in search terms or queries that you, that you wanted to search for on the internet. And uh, you could then log out and your profile would roam the internet and would meet with like-minded profiles who had similar search terms so that you would be able to share information from like-minded profiles with yourselves. And super, I mean, this was like when we were still on the uh, copper uh, uh, modems. Yeah, like that sort of stuff. So of course the, the internet wasn't fast enough for this and there were lots of other, but you know, we had a, we had a dream uh, and we had people uh, who believed in our dream? So, uh, so we started Smart Dive and and we um, we had the first uh, venture capital in, and then we grew the company. We hired amazing people, um, really amazing people, uh, and then we got another huge round of funding in. Um, I think it was uh, NIB Private Equity joining uh, the round. So they were big guys, established guys. The Hague, I think, right? And I'd be Netherlands Investeringsbank. Originally, their office at that time was in Amsterdam. And um, yeah, it was a great ride. But then, of course, you know, at the same speed as the internet rose to uh, like unprecedented uh, heights, mm -hmm. uh, it was like when it was over. And this was in 2002. And it was like, seriously, guys, it was like in three months' time or less everything changed like boom mm -hmm. to the other side now of course you know you you don't whine and complain because you we also enjoyed it when it went from nothing to everything so you know if it goes back you you, you, you don't start whining and complaining and so we just tried to make the best of it right so mm -hmm. we reorganized the company uh had to lay off a lot of people which was terrible um uh, and, and I was 24, 25 at the time. So I mean, what did I know? Yeah, nothing, right? So that was uh, that was a tough learning. But um, you know, in the end, um, we, we we sold the company to um, to Quote Media Holding, company of Maarten van der Bichelaar. Not the Quote Magazine, but he had a bigger holding company uh, on top of that. And um, 
and yeah, that was uh, that was the end of Smart Haven. Um, but that was uh, three years of uh, yeah. like rocket speed. Uh, so much fun, so many things learned, and I mean, yeah, yeah, seen great stuff, and have seen and have had to do horrible stuff, laying off people, and but it was really nice because the team. I mean, they're still. This is uh, how long ago? This is twenty years ago. Uh, I still talk to most, not all, but to a large chunk of those people, you know, we're still in touch. And uh, we still have this, this, this joint journey that, you know, we were all young, we didn't know anything, but we, we tried, we succeeded a little bit at one point and then we miserably failed, but uh, it, was a, it was a fantastic ride. For, for the first one, it's not so bad. Eh? Yeah, in no, it was, it, was, it was like, like and, and what did we know, right? I mean, the business plan, I still have it somewhere. It was, <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, it was, it was fun. And how did you get yourself together for a sudden other venture? Yeah, so I, so because I was uh, the CEO of the company, um, uh, the new owner said, you know, you need to, I want you there because if, if there's something irregular, uh, like if there's dead bodies in the, in the closet, basically mm -hmm. that fall out, then I want. <laughs> I want you there, and uh, so for the I think for six months I uh, I joined um, I I had to go uh, with the company which was also good and I you know, I pretty very much liked it because it was a bit more of a quiet time, and then I um, then I bumped into uh, to uh, to the invention group it was called it was a sort of yeah, agency with where they had a lot of inventors or product guys you know pitching new products and then they would either say okay we like it and they, they would find somebody who would who would lead out on the idea and they got uh, they got this um, invention in from a product developer who developed a low voltage low power DC DC converter in other words um, you he could he was able to charge a battery a lithium-ion battery from a very very low current in a very efficient way so usually you need a bit of current and then you uh, convert it into charge current for the battery and that that current in in his invention in his product could be so low that actually with a solar cell of let's say five by five centimeters under normal light conditions so not in full sun but in normal daylight condition you would still be able to charge a lithium-ion uh, battery so my immediate thought was holy shit wow imagine we can get this on mobile phones and we could bring these mobile phones to Africa and India where suddenly you had these networks um, but there was no power right so yeah. there was 3G at the time and later on 4 and 5G but there was no power so there was such a such an incredible um, good uh, sort of um, ID that um, when we when we talked about it and when I started talking to the product inventor, we decided okay, let's give it a shot. Let's let's go for it. Um, so I went full in, <laughs> like I always do. Uh, when I believe in something, then I go. And um, yeah, that was again. That was uh, you know that that ride was in the end 11 years, uh, but it's been uh, the ride of my life because it's 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 changed changed my life completely. Um, because uh, five years into the company, six years into the company, we moved the company to Asia, to Hong Kong. 
Um, so me and my uh, my wife and my son, who was then a couple of months old, we moved to Hong Kong just to set up the office there. That was the idea for mm. a year, one and a half year, and ten years later I came back. So uh, that's been a yeah, it's been a huge you know turning point. Uh, turning point, not not necessarily a turning point, but it's been an incredibly important time of my life. My daughter was born there, and my son and my daughter grew up there, and. Um, and we came back in uh, 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, back to uh, so so when when I when I when I started to really understand the the technology, not yet the hardware, but the principle of the technology, I I, I really fell in love with the idea, and um, um, we went in and the first thing that you want to do of course is go and talk to the manufacturers of mobile phones right because that was the end goal so let's go there immediately so we we we, we had an engineering uh, department that was outside the company so it's outsourced so we made a few demos and um, you know we flew into Nokia Motorola uh, in later on also Samsung um, and, and they were the market at the time um, especially, um, I think Nokia was uh, was eighty percent of the market or something. So there was there was not there it was not like now that there is uh, plenty of uh, manufacturers. Although market shares are, are probably still very uh, biased towards uh, one or two suppliers. But so so we went there and 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 we pitched the technology and we we showed them how great it was and we could compare it to other things and, and like we, we the the performance was like. But then, you know, in my opinion, I thought two by five centimeters or ten square centimeters of printed circuit board with some components on it. I thought it was very small. But the guys at Motorola and Nokia was like, dude, phones need to become smaller, not bigger. So this is this is not going to work in our phones. And I was like, but it's, it's very small. It's gonna, we, this is we this is never going to go in our mobile phones because it's too big and it's making them. Uh, that was uh, hard because you know that was the, the sort of the dream at the start, and then then you start to think about okay, so if if it needs to be smaller, then you know there's one solution, and that is make a single chip solution out of this printed circuit board, and and if you have a single chip solution that is let's say eight by eight millimeters and uh, two millimeters, then they can't tell you that it's too too big anymore, right? Yeah. Um, but that uh, is uh, two three million US dollars down the line. Um, and it's not easy to make your own chip design. Mm-hmm. So we decided to try a, bit, a few other markets and prove that the technology is indeed superior to any other technologies out there um, before we look back into going into Mofan. So that's what we did. So we started selling the technology to lighting companies, mainly in Asia, uh, also a few in, um, in, in the Netherlands and in Europe. And, um, and we tried like a gazillion of things and um, got uh, got good traction and I think we got market validation of the technology. Uh, and then in 2006, no, we uh, raised funding at uh, Janifo, it's the family trust. Uh, uh, I think they were, maybe maybe you remember that, uh, TomTom, I'm pretty sure you know the company, right? So they were one of the biggest investors in TomTom and mm-hmm. I think they were also big in Vredestein. So traditional but also looking for some earlier stage investments and we uh, we got uh, we got in with them and with the money that we raised from them there was uh, about five six million euros 
we were able to actually start to make our own chip solution, our own single chip solution. So we worked together with um, EM Micro, part of the Schwartz Group in uh, Switzerland, and um, together with uh, the University in Leuven in Belgium. And we managed to make our own chip, which was, yeah, I'm not saying it's, uh, I mean, we didn't uh, invent flying to, uh, to Mars, but that was pretty, pretty freaking uh, high tech, I must say, it was really cool. And um, we got into ZTE's mobile phones for emerging markets. And ZTE, at that time, this is 2008, nobody has ever heard of ZTE. Maybe if you were a nerd, you looked on the bottom of your router. This, is this was when Chinese routers were still common ground in uh, these days. I, I don't think a lot of people uh, want them, but uh, same as Huawei, by the way. I mean, uh, also there, they were neighbors in Shenzhen where, where we always went. And but we got ZTE, which was the number three in handset volume, not in, not in revenue, not in handset uh, revenue, but volume. So that was a big fish and that started to take off quickly. And that's when I moved uh, the company or the operations to Hong Kong because our uh, main seat remained here in Amsterdam. Yeah, that was a fantastic ride because suddenly we were in mobile phones that you saw in South Africa, Kenya, Tanzania, Nigeria, also in India, um, Vietnam to a lesser extent, Thailand. I mean, it was they were everywhere. We sold like tens of millions of chips to these uh, to these uh, to this company, which was fantastic. Um, but of course, our goal was to, you know, go from tier B, maybe C, to tier A. So we would still aim for Samsung and for uh, for Apple at the time, because when we started uh, um, the company, there was no Apple, so uh, th there was no way. But so we had many meetings in Apple in uh, Cupertino. I actually saw Steve Jobs once arriving uh, in his uh, 500 SL really fun um but uh yeah we never got through you know we had like serious 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 discussion design discussions about how to design it in but i think they were looking at okay the next thing is not solar it's a better camera or it's uh, an mp3 player or uh. so after a few years we saw the demand just dropping at these at zte and the smaller uh, smaller suppliers as the manufacturers and we, we 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 weren't able to get that curve up again with a samsung or with an apple or with a motorola after 11 years uh, doing exactly the same it moved from a printed circuit board to a, a single chip solution but the, the the pitch was exactly the same we had we had a new company name and a new color and but it was you know if you looked if you would peel all that off I'd been pitching the same technology, the same product for 11 years. Pfft, I mean, I, I, I needed something, uh, something new because I was just tired, I think. And I also had the feeling that I was on the autopilot and I thought that I was way too young to be on the autopilot. So, um, yeah, so I came to the conclusion that, you know, the best thing for me and also for the company was to, to part ways, um, which we did in uh, 2013. Um, and then I was called by, so in, in, in that company it was, it was initially called True Solar Autonomy and then later on we rebranded to Intivation. Intivation, Inti is the, the god of the sun in the old Inca empire I think. So that's where the name came from because we did everything with solar. 
one of the um, one of the previous supervisory board members uh, was an Irish uh, entrepreneur, and he set up a new business after he left uh, Intivation. It was called Brandtown, and he called me around the same time and said, "Hey, I raised uh, funding uh, to launch Brandtown in Asia uh, with Unilever. Are you? I heard that you're in the market. Uh, are you willing to?" Uh, give it a try and uh, I think uh, within a couple of days we sorted out uh, that we were going to do that and then suddenly I was working um, for a boss <laughs> so that was my first uh, non-entrepreneurial uh, thing uh, it was very entrepreneurial it was maybe more entrepreneurial than all the other things that I had done but um, you know I wasn't uh, the final decision maker uh, because it was an Irish company so Everybody was in Ireland, but I was the um, first, I think, the COO for Asia, and then later on I became the CEO for Asia. So I was just responsible for all the offices in Asia. There was no office when I started, and uh, we ended in 2017 with seven offices, uh, with nearly 30 people, and with uh, double-digit million revenue. So we did uh, we did something well there. Um, Unfortunately, um, the company didn't uh, yeah, didn't succeed to 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 get into the next envelope curve. Um, so I had a I had a really rough 2017. Um, I actually came back to Holland for a couple of months with my family uh, because Hong Kong is expensive. Not sure if you've ever been there, but. Uh, if you have two kids that go to school uh, and you have a house that you have to pay yourself, that's uh, 10,000 euros down. And then you didn't even have one peanut butter sandwich, as I always said. So it was, uh, it was a bit easier and also relaxed money-wise to uh, go back to the Netherlands and uh, make it a prolonged holiday and figure out, okay, what's the next step? And I think both my wife uh, and myself and also the kids, they were not, uh, they were not ready to move back to Holland. Although I sort of got a f my first like oh actually quite nice it was summer it was a nice summer and i think amsterdam in specific with the netherlands itself during summertime are great um, um so we went back to um to asia um, i started to work for a company very similar to brandtown but then a new york uh philippines based manila based um I found it uh, very hard after um, being in the Netherlands for five months with my family to be going back to Asia and be away from the family for six days out of the seven. Um, spending a lot of time with my on my own in Manila wasn't uh, I wasn't wasn't making me happy at all. I was earning a truckload of money, but um, it was just not good. Uh, it felt really, I uh, felt, uh, felt a bit homesick maybe. Um, so we decided to, um, to shake hands and um, after six months I, uh, I basically came back to Hong Kong. And I ended up in coffee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, uh, that's, uh, that was a very unexpected turn of, uh, uh, of the cards. But uh, it was super interesting because it was my first b to real direct b b2c uh, play um in the end you most of the time make something for end customers but this was like direct 
And what I also found extremely interesting is that it's a very cash flow driven business. It's the same as a supermarket. If you if you want to buy coffee, uh, you, you you pay for it and you pay immediately, not like in 90 days or 120 days. Because mm. with uh, with Brentown, for example, we had a, our main customer was Unilever Global, uh, and even after 120 days, you had to call them to please pay the bills. So. And then suddenly I was in a business where everybody who bought something immediately paid. I'm not sure how that, how that is for you guys, but I find that amazing because, and it was really an eye opener. I'd never experienced that. And I was, how old was I? I was, this was in uh, 2018. So um, I was uh, 43. First time that I actually experienced that if you sell something that people and it's, it, it creates an enormous opportunity because you have, you know, and we had a lot of shops and a lot of restaurants. And so there was a lot of, lot of cash flow and that opens up like a, a, a truckload of opportunities uh, to get bank, uh, bank funding for opening new stuff. So you, we didn't have to go to Frenchy Capital because there was just truckloads of cash coming in every day um, directly real in the, in the register. So it was a fantastic ride, but it was also uh, very difficult for for me to uh, uh, especially maybe with with Dutch people and 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 and, and in my case uh, Hong Kong family was yeah it was a lot of things that uh, it, it schuurde it, yeah. it, it was it was uh, it was yeah it was it was There's itchy. so many clashes yeah 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 um, and then I think it was time to go back to uh, to Holland um so i thought this was the time also because my kids were at the stage at an age where they would still be able to go to a dutch primary school to mm -hmm. a school um because i didn't want them to go into the international school stream here because that that's i, I think then then you're not then you're in holland but you're not really in holland and i really wanted them to come home with uh with the bloody nose and a blue eye every now and then to get a bit streetwise because where where we grew up where they grew up in hong kong it was super protected and it's not it was a bubble and it's not how how real life is um and then here i did a few you know different bits and pieces uh, until martijn uh, my co-founder in um in bu called me and he says france france i heard you're back in holland and uh, martijn and i met 20 years ago um we had one meeting together at samsung he was selling mobile phone games on the kind of snake kind of things to Samsung and which he did very successfully with Overloaded. So he introduced me to Samsung. That's how we met and we stayed in touch a little bit. So we knew, I knew a little bit what he was doing with Fuga and, 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 and things. And, um, and, and then suddenly he, he completely out of the blue, he called me and said, Franz, I have this, I have this idea. I want to build a Netflix of products. I have a brainstorm next week. Are you, can you join? And this was right when COVID hit. And I was there, there were like five or six other people and there were a few people who dialed in from uh, Australia, Paris, London. And I was really like, wow, holy shit, this is nice. And he started telling about this ID, which is now BU. And um, yeah, it sort of sticked with me, right? I was like, wow, yeah, I can, I can see this work. So we, st so we decided to have a few more meetings, just the two of us in the weeks after. And, um, and I was, very interested because Martijn, he, he, he was the founder of Fuga 
Uh, and Fuga is the royalty rights distribution management platform behind Spotify and, uh, and, and iTunes Music. So, of course, you have the Rihanna's and the Taylor Swift's, they have, they have it all sorted out, but there is like this huge long tail of millions and millions of songs of smaller artists that are not represented by um, uh, a record company that do that uh, collection. Um, so all their songs are you know tunneled or all the revenues that if you listen to a, one of those songs on spotify then that cent or that 10 cents that gets distributed you know every region if uh, if a writer a copywriter you have an artist you have you have all these different right holders to a certain piece of music to a certain file um so and basically he started building that when music was about to go from having on, on, some, on a piece of hardware to streaming. And at the time when he was starting with Fuga, you had Napster and, uh, and, and of course all the record labels, the first thing they wanted to do, sue Napster. But of course, once people got the hack of it and got the hack of like, wow, so I can actually listen to the track that I want instead of paying 40 euros because we were like screwed big time. When we found out that you could actually stream it, that was like revolution. So you can kill Napster, but there was something else popping up and popping up. So in the end, right there in that time, Martijn was there with, he said, but guys, let's, you know, people are willing to pay for music. You just have to make it seamless for them. Then they will. Everybody wants this artist to be alive next week or next year or whatever, because they love their music. Um, and this is basically what we're doing with BU. So we're going to the manufacturers and saying, you know, we know this is maybe not what you want to hear, that you're going to only produce 10,000 of these instead of 100,000. But we're going to help you to make more money on the 10,000 than you make on the hundreds of thousands. And, and it's the same sort of thing that's happening that, that he experienced there. So for me, that was a super relevant and important experience because I thought, shit, if there's one guy here in the Netherlands that understands how hard it is, and this is not going to be like a two-year trick pony that we're going to get this. This is this is this is a marathon. That's what we always tell each other, Martina. We're in the marathon. We have done the first five, six k. Mm -hmm. We've got uh, thirty-six fucking kilometers to go, right? So, and it's tough. Bio is probably it's a it's very difficult because there need to be a lot of things need to be need to be exactly there in order to make this fly. We always have hubs. We have hardware, we have bikes, we have riders, we have hub managers. This is this is an this is an this is a relatively difficult, complex play. But when you get this done, oh my god, this can be so incredibly big. So that's that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> that's really amazing. And they decided to do everything in house as well. Everything software. in house. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because and, and that is maybe because Martijn and I, we, we've done it a few times before. Um, so it was tough to find good people. But we are now at the point where I can say that uh, this has been so much worth taking that extra effort and spending that extra money then, because now, now is the payback time, basically. Because if we have an issue, it's like boom, 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 ticketed, staging, testing, dish, live. Pretty cool. And your latest investment round was... Uh yeah, with Urban Impact Ventures and uh, also Cedars, yeah? Yeah, so we, uh, so we had uh, Cedars, Urban Impact Ventures, Arquette Ventures, and uh, we had a whole bunch of uh, angels uh, joining. Um, 
and um, and we are about to announce I can't say it next week uh, mm -hmm. some additional uh, so we had a few more people who wanted to join so um, we're going we're signing it next week Tuesday or Wednesday really cool congrats yeah and so uh, uh, yeah H how was it we are because I guess Cedars and uh, the venture capitalists is a Two different things. Yeah. How did you do both of them? Early this year was tough for us. Uh, when we when we came out of the came out of the December month, which was like our busiest month uh, to date, there was still growth, but it wasn't the growth that we saw uh, during October, November, December. So, so by the end of January, early February, I started to get really worried because th th this was not the growth that we were expecting. And at the same time, when we saw the growth coming in October, November, we we started to invest because we're like, shit, if this is going to continue, we need more people. We need to start hiring them now and not wait till the water is still here. Um, so it was a, was a fairly uh, it was, it was a big shit show, right? Your costs were going through the roof and then suddenly your growth is not there. So, uh, so early this year in March, February, March, we, we had to just say goodbye to a lot of people that we hired uh, and also some people that have been with us, had been with us for, uh, for, for a bit of time. And, and, and we had a, yeah, we had a existential crisis, like shit. That's when we started to talk again to our customers and we've, we eventually pivoted to uh, rental without membership. Um, and we did that super quickly. The, again, the core team was there, so they had to build this whole, not rental with membership, but you know, with a PPU pricing and, and, and with you know, four hour pricing, 12 hour, 24 and now 48. Uh, so they had to basically rebuild a whole, I don't know how much code, but a lot of code. Um, so right in that time, Martijn and myself were looking at each other and said, okay, you know, this, this is all hands on deck we need to explore any potential way to raise the money to actually then go and check if what we've built the rental without membership uh, and this was all happening in march uh, april so we were like okay so in june we will be able to launch it and see whether it flies but we need we need time to make it fly because otherwise we're building it so we, we just went to explore different routes and we, we ended up um, doing both. Um, and, it, and it grew out of, you know, out of a crisis, I would say. Like, okay, if this doesn't work, then we focus on this. If this doesn't work, we do this. And we managed to get both uh, off the ground, fortunately. So what I found extremely interesting about the Cedars thing, which I don't think we realized up front is that we had a lot of customers, members joining this round, which was, you know, I think the biggest surprise. Uh, and I think that was really, really good. I would say the majority of that, f the Cedars proceeds came from people that are actually a member, which I thought was amazing. And it's then for the investors, it's mostly Dutch then. Yeah, Urban Impact Ventures is, uh, I think it's a Dutch entity, uh, but they are uh, Romanian Dutch. It's a Romanian, their office is, they have an office in Holland, but they also have an office in Romania. Um, Arquette is Dutch, yeah. So I, I would say that, uh, yeah, it's primarily Dutch. However, in the Cedars campaign, there are a few, uh, I think, uh, mainly British, because Cedars is British or yeah. is, is, is UK based. So 
they have a huge network within their uh, within their own sandbox. And why did you uh, go with the Dutch ones? Um, yeah. Um, did you look abroad as well, or were you absolutely? Here? Yeah, yeah. Now, so we looked. We we we. Okay, so I'm I'm going to be completely uh, open. Yeah. So um, I think since since December, January of December last year, January this year, I think we talked to around 80, 85 investors, VCs. Mm -hmm. Some of them were poorly targeted uh, because people say, oh, you really need to talk to them and then you talk and then it's yeah, yeah. not a match. This is, this is not doing B2C and all that sort of stuff. So let's say that of the 64, 60 told us we're not interested. So, um, uh, and a lot of them were from yeah, Germany, Scandinavia. Um, so you have to be able to absorb a lot of no, we're not interested, or how oh, we really like your business model, but it's a little bit too early. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard that before. Uh, but please keep us in the loop because maybe in Series A we are the perfect party for this. Mm -hmm. Have you experienced that yourself? Yeah, I guess it means no, basically. Yeah, means no. Exactly. That's also how we uh, take it. Um, um, but then three hours later you have your next call, video call, with the new investor and then you have to be like because if you are going to sit there being disappointed because of what happened in the morning, the guys will smell it. They will see it from the first blink in your eyes on the screen, like, ooh. Uh, so we had 60 no's and we only had a few that actually came on board. Um, and they were, yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence because we are Dutch, of course, so you can, you can, you know, in your own language, maybe, and, and, and understanding the, the local sort of vibes in, in Dutch cities is maybe different than it. Um, and uh, on top of that, we have a lot of uh, people in our network uh, that were like, hey, if, if this is happening, we, you know, we would like to join. And so they're, they're giving a bit back to uh, the community where they also at one point in time were. Uh, uh, doing uh, investment rounds with. So, yeah, it's a good combination. Uh, I'm very happy that we have uh, a few funds on board because if it remains in the angel sort of sphere, uh, and especially where there's a lot of angels, where there is also some more than just an angel, there's some of them were friends or friends or, or straight out friends. Um, you know, at one point in time, you want to get proof that an outside fund who is doing an actual real DD is coming in. And I think that is what we've proved with this round, is that this is not because BU is not there because Franz and Martijn know people that have been successful in the past. Now there's also funds that came in. So I think that is the that is the real, you know, for me that was a very important um, uh, KPI to hit with this, uh, with this funding. Um, also because that will help in future funding because all these companies, of course, they, you know, at one point in time, we're gonna ask them, do you wanna join? next round so if you can start the next round with some committed already it's always easier as you know and then the future plans then for you by the end of next year we we need to be at uh, at 10 hubs um of which um utrecht is is there and we have two other uh locations where we are already talking we haven't signed an loi yet but we know where we go mm -hmm. no, uh, no, for now it's netherlands for now, it's the Netherlands. Yeah, initially we had our focus really on Germany because, especially that Noord-Rijn-Westfalen is such a nice area where there's millions of people living on a very dense, um, uh, dense area. But um, yeah, I think 
after a lot of discussions, internal and external, I think in Holland there is still a lot, a lot to be uh, to be gained for us. Um, the Hague is definitely uh, on the agenda. Uh, Almere, uh, Utrecht, Haarlem, Amersfoort, Groningen, Eindhoven. There's, there's a lot of business for us, um, and 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 we have more and more people, thanks to, for example, a podcast like this, but also press releases. There's lots of people from all over the Netherlands signing up as a as a registered user so we can already see in our um, uh, registered user base where the zip codes are and we can you know we can map like okay if we start here we have the first couple of hundred members in because these people have already signed up now of course not everybody will convert but it tells you something about the appetite for a service that we have in the different zip code areas and what kind of advice do you have like for entrepreneurs out there Let's see how, how, can, how can I phrase. So if you if you look at LinkedIn or if you look at uh, all these these websites about uh, tech startups and uh, the un the next unicorns and uh, all that uh, all that jazz, um, you know you, you you start if if you're if you're sensitive for f for that, it starts to look around you that the whole world is on the way to become a unicorn. And my experience is that. That resilience is actually, you know, that's that's your main skill. You 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 need to don't get disappointed quickly because there are gonna be if you're if you're considering to start your own company, there's gonna be millions of disappointments, bigger and smaller. I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell, and I, I do think the more you try, the harder you try, the luckier you get. But there is an enormous amount of timing and luck. In your um, in your um, in, in your pitch, in your in your idea, in your concept, in your in your in the face of your company, and I think that is just super important to realize. You know, if you fail, if your business doesn't fly or it's not becoming a unicorn, doesn't mean you're not a failure. I mean, look at me, man. I've had like so many. I've tried so many things, and maybe one or two things uh, really worked out. But there's uh, like a twenty things that didn't work out. Um, and and for me, not thinking like oh uh, uh, I'm a failure or oh, uh, no I mean that's just no this is normal. If you make it to a unicorn or if you make it to this super startup uh, that uh, like for example like Airbnb or like everybody in the world is using Uber or whatever Booking.com in, in in a sort of way, that's that's like that's like a unique thing, right? And. Um, uh, under that surface, there are so many more other things that um, um, that are also worth being there. And um, yeah, I think that's the, so the resilience part. And if you're if you're not able to um, um, to be disappointed, then don't start uh, and don't start your entrepreneurial journey.